0: Episode 172, The Convergence of Payers and Providers, A Critical Path Forward, Fraught with Challenges. Today, I speak with John Moore, President and Founder of Chilmark Research. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know, talking Relentlessly seeking value. It's really tough for providers to manage risk. They just don't come complete with the necessary actuarial skills. On the other hand, providers are great at delivering care, something payers aren't especially well known for. Today on the podcast, John Moore, president and founder of Chilmark Research, talks about the path forward for payers and providers. He says in most markets, it will be a path of convergence. Payers and providers getting together is the only way to get past some of the incredible administrative costs and burdens in the market that are choking resources, both in providers and across payers. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, John. Hello, Stacy. Glad to be here convergence, I could see that the benefit might go two ways. So, you know, you've got providers who may not necessarily be able to manage risk because that wasn't a core skill that they grew up understanding. But on the flip side, if you're the actual payer, the money's coming out of your own pocket, like an employer, for example, then you have, as a payer, a very vested interest to ensure that the delivery of healthcare is let's just say, as cost effective or efficient and, you know, high quality as, as can be managed. You know, I could see that this would work both ways.
1: Yeah, yeah, it can, can work right, both ways. I think, you know, what we're really trying to get at with all the changes that are occurring in healthcare is how do we deliver greater value for the dollar spent? And that value is, you know, certainly quality over cost. How can we improve that metric? What we've seen is that when these organizations, payers and providers kind of go at it separately, there's a lot of inefficiencies there that drives up the costs of you know, ultimately of the care delivered. So how can we in joining together payers and providers and those skills and drive out some of the administrative burden and administrative cost, and also improve the utilization of those healthcare care services?
0: Is that what you're considering the main advantages are of convergence then?
1: Providers have been aggressively moving forward trying to set up their own health plans. Recently, what we've seen is that those initial attempts to establish a health plan within a provider organization on their own have by and large been pretty unsuccessful. A Robert Wood Johnson Foundation study that was released in the summer of 2017 found that roughly three quarters of all these systems were losing money, these provider-sponsored health plans. You know, another significant proportion, I think around 15%, had already gone belly up. You know, it's really, really hard to do this. But that's why we're arguing that instead of trying to establish your own health plan within a provider organization, why don't we look at how can we form more strategic partnerships with payers to advance delivery of care and i certainly see that uh, we did a report last year on prior authorization you know that is the process by which a doctor has to get prior authorization say for a referral for a patient to another doctor that is a process that is just fraught with complication and it just incredible cost to provider organizations in trying to manage this administrative cost let's say if a provider and a payer join together to provide that health service, theoretically, that prior authorization process should just fade away because there's a mutual trust between those two organizations to serve the market together. And there is no need for prior authorization. That takes a huge burden off providers and allows them just to get on with delivering good care.
0: Yeah, I was just looking at some numbers the other day, which put the amount of administrative costs per dollar spent. It was something like 45%?
1: Yeah, it's well north of 30%. We've got around 30, 35%. But yeah, it depends on how you're counting and what you consider cost or not. You know, I mentioned the prior authorization. You've got the issues around quality metrics and recording those, reporting out on those. There's all sorts of different things that you know just add to the administrative burden. That we're seeing amongst provider organizations today, I mean, if you look at just, you know, the employment that has occurred in large provider organizations, the employment of people to administer health has gone way up in proportion to the amount of employment of just physicians and clinicians.
0: Yeah, I was saddened by that same table, which said that only like 10 cents or something actually went to the people who were providing the care, physicians and nurses. All the rest was swallowed up by somebody.
1: Yes, sadly, that, that's the truth of how healthcare is delivered today in the United States and how it's paid for.
0: What is the motivation for a payer and a provider to hook up together? Is there overarching market forces, or is it something that is more intrinsic or internal to the organizations themselves that they've kind of realized they can't go on this way?
1: What we found more recently in our research is that these types of partnerships tend to be very localized, depending on what are the prevailing market dynamics. Uh, particularly other large competitors in that given market.
0: Although one of the things that has been pretty clear with some of these consolidations of physician groups, I'm not sure if you can call that collaboration or consolidation, but it hasn't necessarily been an immediate recipe for efficiency. There is an example of some health systems that merged and they wound up with three CEOs. So given that, is there something that is different about these more collaborative skill sets or complementary skill sets, which offers an intrinsic advantage?
1: I would have to say that in theory, it offers an intrinsic advantage because you're, for example, what Aetna has a number of JVs around the country. They've been one of the more aggressive payers in pursuing this path along with Anthem. But Aetna, you know, started first in Virginia with Anova Health, and they've expanded to four others since then. But even with their success at Anova Health, you know, how well are they going to be able to replicate that across the United States at these four other JVs that they've got remains to be seen. And in speaking with some of those other executives from these other JVs, they'll be pretty frank. It's still very much a work in progress. So it's it's yet to be determined. With regards to some of the consolidation that's gone on in the market, there has been pretty uh, substantial evidence that's pointed to the consolidation has not led – to lower costs. In fact, sometimes it actually drives up the cost of care because they have such a dominant control of the market.
0: I was looking at one of your research reports. It was the 2017 Analytic Trend Report. There was a a portion of it which talked about where data is coming from and how to achieve a longitudinal health record. And on one hand, a lot of it's coming from claims data. But then on the other hand, a bunch of it was coming from EHR systems and other more provider collected data as opposed to claims data, which is collected you know, on the payer side. Obviously, you need a longitudinal patient data in order to effectively do any kind of population health. What's your take on a payer-provider collaboration would allow for better population health management?
1: Kind of, kind of, sort of, honestly. The the issue we have there is that at least if there was a, um, say, a payer-provider joint venture and if the payer had the systems in place to be able to deliver timely information to the provider, then yes, the provider would be able to better create a longitudinal record and understanding of where that patient is getting their care, both in-network and out-of-network. And that's the trick, is understanding where the patient may be going outside of the network to get their care. And that's something that the payer would be paying for and has visibility to. And so them being able to understand where they went, which hospital they may have had to go to in an emergency situation that was outside the network or going to a specialist.
0: What does it take to be a good converger? Is that, is that the right now there? Um, or maybe I, I could even start here. If it's an imperative to be good at this. To be able to be collaborative, then what does it take to be good at it?
1: I think what it's going to take to be really good at this is having a very clear understanding of the dynamics of the market you you serve. And whether or not, first, that it makes sense to have a relationship, a collaborative relationship with a given payer. And that depends on really the uh, local dynamics of the payer mix in your given market. There may be one payer that controls 70 80% of the market. Therefore, partnering with some of the smaller payers may not make sense. It just does not drive enough value for your organization. So I think first you have to look at it through that lens. You know, what is the opportunity here? And secondly, I think you have to look at it through, is there a level of trust that you truly trust the payer or your partner is going to do right by you? And that's you know, both payer and provider. There has been just a long history of distrust between payers and providers. And who's going to share what information? To what level do we share information? Are they going to be able to use this information to back into our rate plans and negotiate lower rates? Etc., you have to really get over this issue of trust between the two organizations and realize that you're coming together to truly serve a market and both benefit by that and have a really clear understanding of what's going to be the shared benefit to each organization and how you're going to go to market together to those self insured employers, to CMS, what have you, to serve those given markets together.
0: So, the three things that you just listed in some are understand the market mix the payer mix, the market needs maybe, or the Mm -hmm. market composition is probably the better way to understand
1: your environment. Yes.
0: Number two would be establish. There has to be a level of trust. Yeah. And then number three is understand exactly and specifically what the shared benefit is. I got to say, though, those three things sound like a Tough road to hoe. Is there enough of an imperative? And so maybe this is kind of drilling into number three there. Why would anyone do this? Like, why would anyone take it upon themselves to make this happen? Well, I think
1: it depends on the market. You know, when you, for example, if you look at uh, what's happening in Western Pennsylvania, UPMC has a very robust health plan with over 8 million members in that health plan and so they're like a mini kaiser permanente they're moving eastward in pennsylvania so they're starting to encroach upon uh geisinger so what has geisinger done well they're now struck a strategic partnership with uh, highmark who is the pennsylvania blue for western pennsylvania and they are together working in a joint venture against the increasing encroachment of UPMC. What's happening in Western Pennsylvania is a perfect example of a market where you have a very aggressive provider in UPMC that has massive resources that they can then go to a self-insured employer and say, yeah, we can cover all your employees in this area for this given rate, Uh, understanding what the medical loss ratio of your employee mix you know, that's a very compelling offering to a given self-insured employer. And also when you start looking at uh, CMS and Medicare Advantage, it's also a compelling proposition when you're going into, say, a Medicare shared savings plan, an MSSP. So in that situation, if you're a Geisinger and you're seeing, or a Highmark as well being a payer, and you're seeing them increasingly gain market share, you got to do something.
0: So that's a very defensive obviously, activity, you know, or or defensive rationale. Mm -hmm. Is there a reason to do this more offensively, like proactively, as opposed to reacting to a clear marketplace threat?
1: If you look at the Dallas market, which is a very competitive market, you've got tenant healthcare headquarters there. You have Baylor, Scott & White. Uh, You have Texas Health Resources, to name, you know, three large health systems. Texas Health Resources signed a JV with Aetna, and Aetna is going to turn over their hundreds of thousands of members directly over to Texas Health Resources to manage. Those now become all patients of Texas Health Resources in the network they're putting together. That has created a fairly, it's a fairly aggressive move and is viewed by some of the competing health systems there in the Dallas-Fort Worth area as something to be very concerned about because, you know, it takes, you know, if, you, if Aetna represents 10, 15 percent of your patient population and all of a sudden they're going to be gone. You have to remember these health systems are running on fairly thin margins and the commercial payers are the ones that pay the way for most of these systems. Medicare and Medicaid is under increasing contraction.
0: How do you see this ultimately impacting the patient?
1: I would like to think that the opportunity is there to provide a much higher level of care at a better cost point. What's going to matter is who is involved in the partnership. You know, is it a low performing network that's easy to partner with because they're just basically scraping by? Then that's not a lot of value creation there for the patient. If it is a high performing network that is looking to really, on the provider side, that has partnered with a payer to increase their market share in the markets they serve, I think there is a tremendous opportunity to improve some real efficiencies. I think there's also an opportunity, if they can get it right, which they neither of them have done very well to date, is to jointly work on the side of the patient engagement equation, And in terms of folding in the health and wellness type programs with provider backup and support that, you know, frankly, today are fairly divorced from one another. You know, the payers offering the wellness and health plans and things like that programs and, you know, creates a package around that that then offer to their self-insured employer client to meet the needs of their population. But there's no connection of that with the provider network, none at all today. So what would happen if we actually had those health and wellness programs in place and there were some metrics about you know that patient, that member's participation in those programs That could then be used in the context of a clinical visit the next time the patient shows up for, you know, a wellness checkup, their annual physical, what have you. I think there could be, you know, a tremendous opportunity to further encourage people to take better care of themselves through that process, which we just don't have today. It's completely broken between the two.
0: It is such a silo. And as we all know, it, it takes a village to realize behavior change. So if everybody's working in our own little silos, it's really tough to, especially with some of the chronic conditions that we're dealing with in this country, to affect sustainable behavior change. One thing that you've mentioned several times in various contexts. First, we discussed that trust is necessary. It's one of the three keys to a successful collaboration. And then on the other hand, we talked about payers. And on one hand, patients don't trust them and providers and payers have not necessarily had the most trusting relationships either. If I'm a payer, you know, and maybe it's kind of a spillover effect or maybe I have had a checkered past, let's just say, in the trust department (laughs) What advice would you have for me if I am thinking that it might be a business imperative or a strategy moving forward to partner with providers?
1: Just as I would say to the providers, choose your partner carefully. Make sure that that partner is truly dedicated to bringing high value care to the communities they serve, that they are willing to work with you to truly optimize uh, utilization management. You know, make sure that every clinician is working to the top of their license to minimize costs. Because a lot of times, you know, these providers are also kind of milking the system using resources that aren't exactly the most efficient. You want to work with someone that wants to deliver high value care and willing to put together a high performance network, has partnered with the best physicians in the community, you know, has that all in place and is ready to engage with you, to deliver a higher valued health service to the communities you both jointly serve.
0: So it almost sounds like the bar is pretty low, like nobody trusts anybody. So the fact that one party or another has been untrustworthy in the past is kind of, if nobody is, then it's not like there's a clear advantage to being having been trustworthy in the past.
1: Yeah, trust is earned over time. You just don't come into something and just say, oh, I trust you. You know, kind of go along with the phrase, trust, then verify. But you have to verify that they are truly vested in making this work. You know, the way I look at the market right now, I look at the payers as really being good at the business of care. You know, they understand actuarial models, they understand pricing, they understand utilization management, and they understand contracting with self-insured employers and contracting with providers and putting together provider networks. And then you look at the delivery side and they're really good at the process of care. You know How do we deliver high quality care? What's the current clinical evidence for this given patient that I need to apply to make sure this patient is on the road to recovery? That's where, you know, the clinician side of the fence works really well. So the whole trick here with convergence is how do you bring those two together to deliver true risk-adjusted care?
0: CVS and Aetna recently struck a deal. How do you see that playing out? I mean, obviously, CVS has minute clinics. What do you think their path forward is going to be? I think it's a,
1: a really interesting play by CVS to kind of expand into a new market that they have not been in in the past. And I think, you know, for CVS, they're looking at it as, you know, we can be more than what we are today. You know, right now, we're just a retail with a pharmacy on the back end and we do specialty pharma through CVS Caremark and we have a PBM. But, you know, to what extent are those going to be robust going forward as, you know, a growing viable business? That's that's questionable. So in the acquisition, you know, the potential acquisition, if everything goes through of Aetna, gives them an opportunity. Okay, let's really become a health hub of sorts where we can leverage the minute clinics we have. We can provide some steerage to Aetna members to use minute clinics first as a first point of triage. And then from there, they can move on to a PCP or a healthcare, a larger healthcare organization for more tertiary care if need be. From that perspective, if we look at the whole concept of utilization management, utilizing those minute clinics provides an opportunity to provide lower cost, relatively high value care. My only issue with CVS is is that in my own experience and seeing their Minute clinics, I haven't been overly impressed with them. They really need to create a common consumer experience similar to what other retailers have done. For example, like a Starbucks, when you walk into a Starbucks, you always know what it's going to look like. It's always consistent and it's fairly clean and straightforward. Minute clinics, well, you know, it depends on what CVS you happen to step into. I've seen some look really nice and I've seen some look really bad that I really wouldn't want to go there for my care. <laughs> so I think that's an issue that CVS still has to to address, providing a consistent consumer experience across all assets.
0: I know someone who works on the Aetna side and they had a town hall meeting announcing the CVS acquisition. I'm not sure what the right term is there. And one of the questions posed in the Q&A was, what discount are we going to get at the CVS stores. <laughs>
1: it won't be any discounts on cigarettes.
0: <laughs> kind of given all of this convergence or, or collaboration that is emerging in the marketplace, what do you think is new and interesting? Uh, what, you know, what kinds of innovations might come out of some of these convergences that may not have been possible in the past?
1: I think the challenge right now is that what we've seen to date is You know, these partnerships are starting to be formed. You're seeing the strategy played out in a PowerPoint presentation, uh, things of that ilk. But when we've gone into organizations and really looked at how these strategies are being enabled and enacted, what we find is is typically through the dedication of a few individuals that are almost force-fitting this thing to work. Currently, we do not have very good systems in place to enable this type of convergence. And by systems, I mean kind of the business processes and beneath that, the IT infrastructure to support this. I think that's where we, there's a real opportunity in the marketplace today is to look at, okay, if we're going to be doing this, what's the platform need to look like? How is the data sharing going to happen? What kinds of data are we going to be sharing back and forth? What's the governance around that data? And whose version of the truth are we going to use in given use cases in in various instances? Um, Those are still things that are being worked out in the market today. I think once we figure some of that stuff out, I think there's going to be a tremendous opportunity to really provide a health service within a given community versus these disparate you know, functions of well, you have to deal with the provider network over here, then you have to do your eligibility check with the payer over there, and go through that whole rigmarole as a consumer of these healthcare services, uh, that is incredibly burdensome. So, ideally, what I would like to see is a future process where, you know, you don't have necessarily the prior authorization process. You don't have the eligibility checks that they have to go through. That these things are just done transparently and seamlessly in the background. And you, as a consumer, are provided a high-quality service.
0: So I'm going to bring up the innovator's dilemma right now, which I definitely flashed in on when you were talking. The idea that it's really difficult in certain cases for a large lumbering incumbent to get a new bag. Basically, what you're saying really confirms that you've got these disparate entities who are really good w- at doing what they're doing. I mean, not only do they sort of need to retool internally, but then also there's all these processes necessary in order to seamlessly and frictionlessly you know in certain cases change their incentives in order to benefit the whole as opposed to the individual piece that they are that they have been acculturated to to be 110% focused on for their entire history do you think that they're going to that the existing incumbents are going to be able to collaborate and pull some of these things off or do you think that this is also a very ripe time for some upstarts to show up who were built for this model.
1: I think it's a good time for upstarts that can build to this model. The challenge, though, is how do you scale quickly? I think you know, Clover Health is an example of a payer that tried to do some really interesting things in the marketplace as a new startup. But they really, really have struggled to have enough uh, volume of members to effective relationships with providers to provide a better level of care. They're doing some interesting partnerships now. They seem to have stabilized a bit, but it still remains to be seen what they can do. Uh, you have Bright Health you know, being started out in Colorado. With Centura Health, another interesting combination, but the jury's still out as to, is that scalable? Can they build that type of capability and replicate it in other markets? It's one thing I've learned about healthcare over my years of studying this market. It is a highly fragmented market with very localized conditions. And you have to take in those localized conditions almost every time you step into a new market. It's very hard, difficult to scale across the United States. I think that's what gives currently the incumbents the, the advantage, understanding the regional characteristics of the markets they serve and being able to adapt to those markets. I mean, I would love to see someone come in and disrupt this. And maybe, you know, you look at what uh, the recent announcement of Amazon, Berkshire Hathaway and JPM It was fairly thin press release in terms of what they want to do, but they are very innovative companies. They have enormous resources at their disposal that they could potentially apply to this issue in healthcare. How will that look? Well, it's hard to say because they still only represent a million member lives. And is that enough to affect change on the provider side? Probably not in most markets, unless you're, for example... Uh, Group Health in Seattle, and you have a large partnership with or Providence and you have a large partnership with Amazon.
0: Here's my main takeaway. There's no magic bullet not yet. I keep looking. <laughs> I keep looking. I keep hoping there'll be something day yeah, but it's
1: it's it's hard to scale just because of the regional, aspects, you know, and regional competitive differences across the United States. It's it's a very difficult thing to kind of create one model and replicate it over and over again across the United States.
0: Yeah. So everybody's got a different problem. You know, if you are the incumbent, it's tough to change your business model and collaborate. But on the other side, if you're an upstart who could be built to fulfill the needs of the new business model, then it's tough to scale.
1: Yeah. But it gets to the point, you know, is there an opportunity here for, you know, if you look at the Innovator's Dilemma and in Christensen's work, he always talks about how these companies that are successful at disrupting a given market, they start off on the edges, addressing some small part of the market that no one's really paid attention to or no one thinks much of, and they do it at a very low cost, and they slowly scale up to a point where then they're all of a sudden, you know, this massive competitive threat. I've yet to see anything that I can point to directly. That's an example of that, but I keep looking.
0: When you find somebody, make sure I'm the first to know.
1: <laughs> okay, Stacy. <laughs>
0: Thanks. <laughs> Deal. <laughs> I'll have you. I'll
1: have you on my hotline.
0: <laughs> Is there anything that we neglected to to talk about relative to this topic?
1: We've covered just about everything. I think what I would like to add, I do firmly believe that the path forward in most markets in the United States will be a path of convergence between payers and providers as it's truly the only way to get past some of the incredible administrative costs and burdens that we see today in the marketplace that are just choking the resources in both healthcare organizations and among cross-payer organizations. And I believe that in order to do that though, we're also gonna have to see a next round of investment In IT, particularly on the payer side, they did not get a high-tech act like the physicians did to adopt relatively newer technology in the context of EHRs. A lot of payers are working with very, very dated systems. And they re- they're going to need to up their investment in their technology platforms to be able to provide more real-time data on claims information, et cetera, to the providers that they partner with, something that they have have underinvested in to date. They're going to have to step it up.
0: Chillmark Research, do you want to just say a few words about what you do and where you can be reached should anyone be interested in learning more?
1: Yes, Chilmark Research is a IT analyst firm. It was founded under the context of really looking at how can we provide high-quality research that is going to help the industry adopt, deploy, and use technology, IT in particular, to advance the delivery of care. When we started this company, the healthcare industry was, frankly, woefully behind other industries in the adoption and use of IT to improve processes. And it's still pretty woefully behind most industries. Uh, It's our job here at Chilmark Research to really help organizations understand how to use technology to advance care And and also, to a certain extent, make sure they're aware of what technologies are best fit for them. And the relative maturity of those technologies and how, what are the best use cases for those technology platforms that they're considering adopting.
0: And there's some great research on that's actually free on your website at chillmarkresearch.com, yeah?
1: Yes, there is. And actually, it's February, as mm-hmm. I recall. And um, it's uh, my birthday in February. And since I was the founder of Chillmark Research, I always offer a free report in February. We call it Free February. So one of our reports that we probably published within the year that will be offered for free through our through our website.
0: Well, you heard it here. Go to chillmarkresearch.com. I thank you so much for being on the podcast today, John.
1: You're very welcome, Stacey. This has been a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it.
0: Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at relentlesshealthvalue.com. If you visit the website, relentlesshealthvalue.com,